Welcome to another in-depth exploration of the book of Jeremiah. Written by Imray Tokic, Ph.D., LLD. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 10. The Destruction of Jerusalem. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7, the New International Version. Within a few short years, the king of Babylon was to be used as the instrument of God's wrath upon impenitent Judah. Again and again, Jerusalem was to be invested, surrounded, and entered by the besieging armies of Nebuchadnezzar, company after company, at first a few only, but later on thousands and tens of thousands were to be taken captive to the land of Shinar, there to dwell in enforced exile. Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, all these Jewish kings were in turn to become vassals of the Babylonian ruler, and all in turn were to rebel. Severer and yet more severe chastisements were to be inflicted upon the rebellious nation until at last the entire land was to become a desolation. Jerusalem was to be laid waste and burned with fire. The temple that Solomon had built was to be destroyed and the kingdom of Judah was to fall, never again to occupy its former position among the nations of earth. Another behind-the-scenes exposition of history, written by Ellen G. White in her book entitled Prophets and Kings on pages 422 and 423. As we have learned and will discover, none of this came upon them without plenty of warnings and pleadings by the prophets, especially Jeremiah. Their refusal to obey brought only ruin. May we learn from their mistakes. Weeping for Tammuz Though Jeremiah might have felt very much alone at times, he wasn't. God had raised up Ezekiel, a contemporary, among the captives in Babylon, in order to comfort and to warn the exiles, as well as to confirm what the Lord had been speaking through Jeremiah all these long and hard years. Through his ministry, Ezekiel was to warn the captives against the folly 
of believing the false predictions of an early return from Babylon. He was also to foretell by various symbols and messages the devastating siege that would eventually befall Jerusalem because of the people's refusal to repent and turn away from their sin and apostasy. Let's listen to Ezekiel chapter 8. Here are three questions to think about as you listen. What was the prophet shown? What does this tell you about how powerful the popular culture can be and how it can impact even the most sacred things? What warnings do you synthesize for yourself? Here is Ezekiel chapter 8 from the Amplified Bible. It came about in the sixth year of the captivity of King Jehoiachin, on the fifth day of the sixth month, as I sat in my house near Babylon, with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell on me there. Then I looked, and behold, a likeness of a man with the appearance of fire. From his loins downward he was like fire, and from his loins upward he had the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal, bronze. He stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of hair on my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner courtyard, where the seat of the idol image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy, was located. And behold, the glory and brilliance of the God of Israel, who had loved and chosen them, was there, like the vision which I saw in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, now raise your eyes toward the north. So I looked toward the north, and behold, to the north of the altar gate was this idol image of jealousy at the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great repulsive acts which the house of Israel is committing here? to drive me far away from my sanctuary? But you will again see greater repulsive acts. Then he brought me to the entrance of the courtyard. And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. He said to me, Son of man, now dig into the wall. And when I had dug into the wall, behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked repulsive acts that they are committing here. So I entered and looked and saw every kind of creeping things and beasts and loathsome things and all the idols of the house of Israel carved all around on the wall. Standing before these images were seventy elders of the house of Israel, 
and among them stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe, each man with his censer in his hand, and a thick and fragrant cloud of incense was rising as they prayed to these gods. Then he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Each man in his secret room of carved images, for they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has abandoned the land. He also said to me, Yet again, you will see even greater repulsive acts which they are committing. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the Lord's house. And behold, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? Yet you will see still greater repulsive acts than these that they are committing. So he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the entrance to the temple of the Lord, between the porch, vestibule, portico, and the bronze altar, were about twenty-five men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were bowing down toward the east and worshiping the sun. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? Is it too slight a thing for the house of Judah to commit the repulsive acts which they have committed here, that they have filled the land with violence and repeatedly provoked me to anger? And behold, they are putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I indeed will deal in wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor will I spare them. And though they cry loudly in my ears, yet I will not listen to them. No matter how often and clearly the writings of Moses and the prophets warned against idolatry and worshiping other gods, these verses show that this is exactly what was being done, even within the sacred precincts of the temple. Weeping for Tammuz was a lamentation ritual for a Mesopotamian god. No wonder Second Chronicles chapter 36 verse 14 said, Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hollowed in Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 12, adds what God said to him. Then he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark, each man in his secret room of carved images? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has abandoned the land. Admittedly, the translation about the chambers of their own imagery is a little ambiguous. 
It could mean the chambers where they stored their own idols, or it could mean the chambers of their own imagination, their own hearts. Either way, the elders, the leaders, had fallen so far that they said the Lord didn't see what they were doing, that the Lord had abandoned them. It is another way of saying, the Lord doesn't care about these things. They aren't important. Right there, in the sacred precincts of God's temple, these people engaged in the grossest idolatry, doing everything that they had specifically been forbidden by God's words to do. Even worse, in their own minds, they justified their deeds. The Apostle Paul talked about those who worshipped the creation instead of the Creator in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Before we hear those verses, the Amplified Bible has this footnote for verse 23. Here's what it says. Paul's indictment of idolatry images is logical and devastating. He emphasizes that idols are essentially copies of living creatures, whether in human form, as for example in ancient Greek myth, or otherwise, as in Egyptian idolatry and metaphysics. These lifeless images are clearly powerless, and even the living creatures which they supposedly represent are either non-existent hybrids and monsters, or else ordinary creatures on earth who could hardly create so much as a grain of sand. Now, let's listen to the verses Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Claiming to be wise, they became fools verse 23, and exchanged the glory and the majesty and excellence of the immortal God for an image, worthless idols, in the shape of mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their own hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them abandoning them to the degrading power of sin. Because by choice they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Unhappy Reign of King Zedekiah Zedekiah, whose name means Righteousness of Yahweh, was the last king on the throne of Judah before its destruction by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. At first, he seemed to have been willing to obey the words of Jeremiah and submit to the Babylonians. However, this attitude did not last. 
Jeremiah warned King Zedekiah. Jeremiah chapter 37, verses 1 through 10, tell us what he said. You will first hear some history, and then you will hear the words, And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. What was Jeremiah's warning to King Zedekiah? Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made Zedekiah the son of Josiah king in the land of Judah, so he reigned as king instead of Coniah, also called Jeconiah and Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord, which he spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. Yet King Zedekiah sent Jehuchal, the son of Shelemiah, along with Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Please pray now to the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. Meanwhile, Pharaoh's army had set out from Egypt and when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard the news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, This is what you are to say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come out to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land, and the Chaldeans of Babylon will come again and a fight against this city, and they will capture it and set it on fire. Thus says the Lord, Do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will certainly stay away from us, for they will not stay away. For even if you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only the wounded men among them, yet they would rise up, every man confined in his tent, and burn down this city with fire. Under pressure from his subjects, most likely the nobility, Zedekiah ignored the warnings of Jeremiah and, instead, made a military alliance with the Egyptians in hopes of staving off the Babylonian threat. Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 15 through 18, tells us about that. But Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar by sending his ambassadors to Egypt so that they might give him horses and many troops. Will he succeed? Will he who does such things escape? Can he indeed break the covenant with Babylon and still escape? As I live, says the Lord God, surely in the country of the king Nebuchadnezzar, who made Zedekiah the vassal king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, In Babylon, Zedekiah shall die. Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company will not help him in the war. When they, the Babylonians, put up ramps and build siege walls to destroy many lives. 
Now Zedekiah dishonored the oath by breaking the covenant. And behold, he gave his hand and pledged his allegiance. Yet did all these things, he shall not escape. As he had been duly warned, salvation didn't come from the Egyptians after all. Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 1 through 6. What happened to Jeremiah again because of his proclaiming the word of God to the people? Do you know what a cistern is? It is an underground tank or reservoir for storing water. That is where Jeremiah was put. Now Shephatiah, the son of Matan, and Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, and Jukal, also called Jehukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malchijah, heard the words that Jeremiah was speaking to all the people, saying, So says the Lord, He who remains in this city will die by the sword, by famine, and by virulent disease, pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans of Babylon will live and have his own life as a reward and stay alive. Thus says the Lord, This city will certainly be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, and he will take it. Therefore the prince's court officials said to the king, Please, we implore you, let this man Jeremiah be put to death, for speaking in this way he discourages and weakens the will of the soldiers who remain in this city, and he discourages and weakens the will of all the people by speaking such words to them, for this man is not seeking the well-being of these people, but rather their harm. Then King Zedekiah, fearing the princes, said, Listen, he is in your hand. For the king is in no position to do anything against you. So they took Jeremiah and threw him into the cistern, an underground tank or reservoir for storing water, of Melchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down into the cistern with ropes. Now there was no water in the cistern, but only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. As Jesus said, as we hear from Mark chapter 6, verse 4, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Poor Jeremiah again faced the wrath of his own countrymen. Like the rest of the nation, though, Jeremiah couldn't say that he hadn't been warned. In this case, though, the warning was about the trials that he would face if he stayed faithful, which he did. How difficult it must have been for Jeremiah, too, because he was accused of weakening the morale of the nation. After all, 
When the people were facing an enemy from without, whom they wanted to fight against, and Jeremiah had been going around for years and years saying it's a lost cause, that they couldn't win, and that even the Lord was against them, it's understandable that you would want to shut him up. So hardened in sin, they didn't hear the voice of the Lord talking to them. Indeed, they thought it was the voice of an enemy instead. However difficult the pit was, think about how much harder it was for Jeremiah to hear the charge against him that he was seeking the hurt, not the welfare, of his people. What's it like to be accused of hurting the very ones you are trying to help? Jerusalem. The siege of Jerusalem began in earnest in January 588 BC and lasted until the late summer of 586 BC. Jerusalem had been able to hold out for more than two years before Jeremiah's prophetic words were fulfilled and the Babylonian soldiers broke through the wall and destroyed the city. Starvation was so bad inside the walls that the defenders lost all strength and couldn't resist any longer. King Zedekiah fled with his family, but in vain. He was captured and taken to Nebuchadnezzar, who had his sons executed before his eyes. We can hear much of this sad story in Jeremiah chapter 39, Verses 1 through 10. Jerusalem Captured Now regarding the capture of Jerusalem. In the ninth year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. And in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, they breached the wall and broke into the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate, establishing both military control of the city and their authority to judge the captives. Nergal Sar Ezer, Samgar Nebu, Sar Sikim, the Rabsaris, chief of the eunuchs, Nergal Sar Ezer, the Rab Mag, chief of the magicians, with all the rest of the officials of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, they fled and escaped from the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls. And the king went out toward the Arabah, 
Jordan Valley. But the Chaldean Babylonian army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. When they had seized him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah, in the Aramean land of Hamath, where he passed sentence on him. Then at Riblah, the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. The king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he blinded Zedekiah and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans also burned down the king's palace and the house of the people, and they broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the chief executioner and captain of the bodyguard, took the rest of the people who remained in the city, along with those who had deserted and surrendered to him, and the rest of the so-called better class of people who were left and carried them into exile in Babylon. But Nebuzaradan, the Babylonian captain of the bodyguard, left behind in the land of Judah some of the poor people who had nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at that time. Now, let's hear Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 6. What is the significance of the words of Nebuzaradan to Jeremiah? Jeremiah remains in Judah. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, had released him from Ramah, when he had taken him bound in chains among all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being taken as exiles to Babylon. And the captain of the bodyguard had taken Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God promised this disaster on this place. Now the Lord has brought it about, and has done just as he promised. Because you, people of Judah, have sinned against the Lord, and did not listen to and honor his voice, therefore this thing has happened to you. But now, listen carefully. Because of your innocence, I am freeing you today from the chains which are on your hands. If you would prefer to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you carefully. But if you would prefer not to come with me to Babylon, then do not do so. Look, all the land is before you. Go wherever it seems good and right, convenient for you to go. While Jeremiah was still hesitating, the captain of the bodyguard said, Go on back then to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has appointed governor over the cities of Judah, and stay with him among the people, or else go wherever it seems right for you to go. So the captain of the bodyguard gave him an allowance of food and a gift and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, at Mizpah, 
and stayed with him among the people who were left in the land. How fascinating that this pagan commander understood the situation so much better than did Jeremiah's own people. Obviously, the Babylonians knew something about Jeremiah and his work, and they were treating him differently than they did the others, such as Zedekiah. Jeremiah chapter 39, verses 11 through 12 say, Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave orders concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, saying, Take him and look after him. Do nothing to harm him, but rather deal with him just as he asks of you. Just why this pagan leader attributed the demise of Jerusalem to the Lord as a punishment for the sins of the people rather than to the superiority of his own gods over Judah's, the text doesn't say. Whatever the reason, it's a startling testimony to how, even amid such unnecessary calamity, the Lord had revealed something about himself to the pagans. What choice would Jeremiah make? To go with the captives to Babylon or stay behind with those remaining? Neither prospect would be particularly appealing considering the circumstances for them all. Certainly, though, the spiritual needs of both groups would have been great, and Jeremiah could minister wherever he went. Jeremiah decided to stay among the group that remained behind in the land, with the poor people who no doubt were going to need all the encouragement and help that they could get. How can you learn to minister to other people regardless of the situation you are in? Why is it important, even for yourself, that you minister in whatever way you can? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, New International Version. What has been your own experience with this promise? What does with all your heart mean to you? The Lord knows the beginning from the end. Even while people in Jerusalem were still fighting the Babylonians, still hoping that the words of the false prophets were true, the Lord was using Jeremiah to speak to the future, to speak to those who were already in Babylon 
and to those who would eventually be there. And what words he spoke. Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. How is the love and mercy of God revealed in these verses? Message to the Exiles Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders in exile and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes, court officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was hand-carried by Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, So says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the captives whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give them daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease in number. Seek peace and well-being for the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its peace, well-being, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your false prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Pay no attention and attach no significance to the dreams which they dream or to yours, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years of exile have been completed for Babylon, I will visit and inspect you and keep my good promise to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear your voice and I will listen to you. Then, with a deep longing, you will ask me and require me as a vital necessity, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and I will free you and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile.
Here was a true message of grace. Unlike the false message of grace that the people had heard from the prophets who told them that their exile would be over in short order, even just two years, that was not God's plan, and it was not going to happen. Instead, based on the clear teachings of Moses, they had to accept that this was their fate, at least for now. But just as Moses had said, if they repented, they would be restored to the land. Let's compare two references. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 4, and Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. How do these texts reflect what Jeremiah said to the people. So it shall be when all these things have come on you, the blessing and curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you have returned to the Lord your God, and have listened to and obeyed his voice with all your heart and with all your soul, in accordance with everything that I am commanding you today, you and your children. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes in your return from exile, and have compassion on you, and will gather you together again from all the people's nations where he has scattered you. Even if any of your dispersed are at the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you together from there, and from there he will bring you back. And Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. We have been given the prophetic gift in the wonderful ministry of Ellen G. White. How can you be sure that you don't show the same attitude toward her writings today that many, but not all, had toward Jeremiah? The 70 Years Jeremiah's prophecies should have had a double effect on the thinking of the captives. On the one hand, they should not believe what the false prophets were saying. And on the other hand, they should not be dispirited. He asked his captive countrymen to pray for Babylon. This request might have surprised those who had been deported. What Jeremiah was asking from the captives was unheard of in the earlier history of Israel. It had been absolutely unknown to pray for an enemy who had done what the Babylonians had done to them, God's chosen nation. The prophet broke all their understandings regarding the temple and Jerusalem. They could pray in a pagan country and the everlasting God would listen to them. Notice, too, 
what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7. Seek peace and well-being for the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its peace and well-being you will have peace. In other words, Jeremiah was saying that the prosperity of the captive's host nation will mean their prosperity too. As aliens and strangers in the land, they were especially vulnerable if things went badly in the nation in general. All through history, we have heard sad examples of intolerance becoming especially bad when a nation faces hard times. People look for scapegoats, those whom they can blame, and minorities or aliens often become easy targets. It is an unfortunate reality. What wonderful hope is given to the exiles in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years of exile have been completed for Babylon, I will visit and inspect you and keep my good promise to you to bring you back to this place. Let's compare that hope to these verses. Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. This whole land will be a waste and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then when seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, Babylonia, says the Lord, for their wickedness, and will make the land of the Chaldeans a perpetual waste. Second Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 2 Joaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned only three months in Jerusalem. And Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2 in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books the number of years which, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the desolations which had been pronounced on Jerusalem would end. And it was seventy years. Everything the Lord had said would happen had happened. So. They had every reason to trust that he would fulfill this prophecy as well. Just as a reminder of the details, let's listen again to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, this time from the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says, You will be in Babylon for seventy years, but then... I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. Why seventy years would be the exact time of their exile we don't know, though it clearly is linked to the idea of Sabbath rest for the land, as Moses recorded twice in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25 Verse 4 says, 
But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow seed in your field, nor prune your vineyard. And Leviticus chapter 26, verses 34 and 43. Then the land of Israel will enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. Verse 43. But the land will be abandoned by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. And they will accept the punishment for their wickedness and make amends because they rejected my ordinances and their soul rejected my statutes. Back to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. What's so important about this prophecy is that if they had taken in faith and submission, it would have given the captives great hope and assurance of the Lord's complete sovereignty. Despite appearances, Despite the terrible calamity that befell them, they could know that all was not lost, and the Lord had not left them. They were still the covenant people, and the Lord wasn't through with them or the nation of Israel. Redemption was available there for all of those ready to meet the conditions. What prophecies give you great hope for the future? Which ones strengthen your faith and help you learn to trust the Lord for whatever will come? Let's continue exploring. We are in continual danger of getting above the simplicity of the gospel. There is an intense desire on the part of many to startle the world with something original that shall lift the people into a state of spiritual ecstasy and change the present order of experience. There is certainly great need of a change in the present order of experience, for the sacredness of present truth is not realized as it should be. But the change we need is a change of heart and can only be obtained by seeking God individually for His blessing, by pleading with Him for His power, by fervently praying that His grace may come upon us and that our characters may be transformed. This is the change we need today. And for the attainment of this experience, we should exercise persevering energy and manifest heartfelt earnestness. We should ask with true sincerity, What shall I do to be saved? We should know just what steps we are taking heavenward. <music> 
Ellen G. White wrote those poignant words in her book, Selected Messages, Book One, pages 187 and 188. Here are a few thoughts to ponder and questions to consider. Think about the idea of why, historically, the prophets had been so mistreated and misunderstood in their own time. What could this teach us about how we relate to the ministry of Ellen G. White? Think about her in the context of what Jesus said and was quoted in Matthew chapter 23, verses 29 through 31, New International Version. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Many Bible prophecies have been fulfilled in the past, and from our perspective today, we can see that they were fulfilled. In what way can these fulfillments help us to trust that the ones that haven't yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled as well. As we have heard, Jeremiah told the people to seek the Lord. How do we do that? What if someone were to say to you, I want to know God for myself. How do I find him? How would you reply? ambassadorgroup.org Thank you for exploring with us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.